1: I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature.
0: Yes. And
1: I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I
0: had this question. Even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing.
1: And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture and yeah. people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches people take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature
0: yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course mm-hmm. But when you've mastered that, you really want to share it with other people, and people want to be shared with, right. and they will pay you money. So, if that's the way you want to go, that's why it ended up being life coach training. But it's actually Wayfinder, which is different.
1: It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and, and steering your own course. So, if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi there, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. This is episode six of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I try to figure it out every day of my life. Martha figured it out over snacks last night. That's true. After
0: my 30th or 40th snack, I figured (laughs) out that the way to know when you've eaten enough is that you perceive a a blinding flash and then everything goes black.
1: (laughs) And that (laughs) is... What else do you need to know? Nothing. No, you really came to the end of the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been trying to figure out of late Oh, Roey,
0: I have been trying to figure out why I talk the way hippopotamuses do defecate. Is it hippopotami? It's hippopotami.
1: It's I, I don't word. know. And I also don't much mind. I think everyone's with us.
0: I think they know what animal I'm talking about. I think they do. The infamous river horse of Africa bites people in twain so you're yeah, saying okay, that so, you talk the way the, it's happening, it's right happening. now. <laughs> this is how my mind works okay uh, this is how my mind works the way hippos poo and i know i talk about animal poo a lot on this show and um that's again another problem i need to take up with some kind of medical professional but the way they poop is first of all voluminously and then they stand and and they have these tough little tails and they flicker them while they poop, and it spreads the poop far and wide, like far and wide. I'm talking 10 to 20 feet of just dung everywhere. So if you give me something to think or talk about, like what do we, what do, we do for our podcast? My brain starts throwing
1: crap everywhere. So is your brain the rhino behind or the rhino tail? It's a hippo. <laughs> I
0: thought we'd made that. Clear, but apparently not. Apparently, you were confused by the dual um, pluralization and it became a rhinoceros.
1: I just have such a vivid memory of a rhinoceros uh, peeing. It was peeing. It I wasn't.
0: And it was Look. amazing. It went on for like 25 <laughs> minutes and it was at a high volume. We could have put out fl- fires with that rhinoceros.
1: It's a hippo, Marty. A hippo. Don't okay, it's happening me.
0: again. Okay, so like this morning, a friend texts us, as you do, a headline saying,
1: cocaine in the River Thames is affecting the eels. And no, I said, um, cocaine in the Thames is another problem that For London Thames eels, Thames eels like don't that. need, That yeah, expert says. <laughs> yeah,
0: cocaine is another problem eels in the Thames don't need. A simple topic, well framed. Well, <laughs> I, But then I, of course, had to Google eagles on Eagles on
1: cocaine. Okay? <laughs> oh my God! There's a menagerie. Eels
0: on cocaine, and what came up was a video that, of course, I don't have the patience to watch because what I'm talking about here is having a brain with severe ADD, um, and that's the truth. But I just sort of slid the bar through the video, and it came to rest on a picture of an eel with the large, flashing words "sex mucus."
1: It's true. I so can attest immediately.
0: To this. You know, I don't even text back about eels in the Thames. It's just all eel sex (laughs) mucus at that point.
1: I actually have to make a little um, amendment here because there was no eel in the picture. What you literally sent was a screenshot from YouTube with an entirely pink background and then the rest of the screen taken up with the gigantic words sex mucus (laughs) and nothing else. That's what got sent.
0: Apparently it does though affect the eels in the thames but you see this is the thing. All of a sudden now the whole topic is sex mucus and I set out with a sober agenda to talk seriously about another problem eels in the thames do not need. I mean how much Trouble is, it to live in the Thames without drug dealers threatening your children, right? Absolutely, it's a co- cocaine is a problem. They don't need and so and then, I'm, but suddenly we're on sex mucus, and then I'm like off doing completely different things.
1: And so I just want to understand the the your brain is no, your brain is the giraffe's tail, <laughs> and you and your mouth is the giraffe. Oh my god, have backside. you ever seen a giraffe give birth? <laughs>
0: oh my god the baby drops six feet to the ground and the only way the giraffe can get it out like nobody's sitting there with the giraffe's feet in strips going push ethel push (laughs) so what they do is they twirl and the centripetal force of the twirling throws the baby out yonder into the savannah
1: clump wow that would be a rude awakening
0: yeah that would be yeah So this is the problem mm. I'm, I'm I think I'm starting to, about, is to figure like, it out. Uh, giraffe's ex-mucus is a problem rhinoceroses in the Thames do not need. Discuss! This is how my brain works. This is the nightmare that I live inside.
1: I think you've got a lot to figure out. I think I like animals. I think you like animals. I do. Yeah, they're lovely, aren't they?
0: Nothing else matters. So what are you trying to figure out, Ro?
1: You know, the thing that comes to mind is that I have been puzzling a little over my propensity to, this is so lame compared with yours, my propensity to want to watch something on TV and then spend all my TV time browsing and looking at things, but never being able to settle on something to watch. Mm -hmm. Even though, really, as we all know, we live in the golden age of television. But do we? Because well, if it
0: were that golden, you'd just be riveted by everything you saw.
1: You'd but, be like. mm, But you know what I do? You know what I do? I do the thing where I'm like, that looks good, but maybe oh. there's something even better. Oh, and how can I settle? I know. I was trying to think of it. I was t- so I, like, I won't settle on the thing that looks just good because I am so seduced by the possibility of something better, of something even better.
0: The grass is always greener. Yeah. And so forth. yeah Yeah.
1: the potential future grass there's another Aesop's fable (laughs) (laughs) because I just
0: thought of three (laughs) Um. (laughs) you've heard the one where the dog has a bone and then he's crossing a river and he looks and he sees his reflection and he thinks that's another dog and he needs that other bone so he attacks the other dog opens his mouth and the bone falls in the river and drifts away
1: that's a very sad story. I think that's a lot like you watching television.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I usually have a bone with me. So Definitely it's clenched really in your opposite. jaws, foaming
0: at the mouth like a hydrophobic poodle.
1: Wow. Staring there's at a, a river. lot to unpack in that one. Staring last at its
0: own image in a river. God, there's a country western song in that.
1: But Deeply the poodle's bitten. defecation is your brain. Yes. And yeah. the tail of the poodle. Is whipping back Weeping. and
0: forth so that it throws babies around six feet. <laughs> We've it's a done big it. poodle. We've actually resolved the whole topic. Oh, thank God we figured it out! And what a blessing it is that we're doing this podcast to help other people figure
1: <laughs> it out the way we always do. Dear listeners, I hope this has cleared everything up for you. <laughs> uh, that should do it.
0: Okay, what what is our actual issue for the week? So-
1: Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh,
0: by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change, and we've put the information together in one handy place so
1: that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out
0: all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change.
1: This episode, we spoke to Chris, and Chris is a guy trying to figure out why adulting seems to be so much easier for others than it is for him him Mm. and you know he's looking at he's looking at the old social media which is a comparison death trap and you know all his friends that he went to school with are forging ahead in their careers and he said he's just still struggling to get through grad school not even sure if he wants to do it and I know and you know he's got two little kids and all his friends on the socials they are all you know happily um teaching their kids chinese and the kids are winning triathlons and he can't even get his kids to keep their pants on for more than an hour yeah
0: i still can't get mine and they're in their 30s to keep their
1: pants on for more than an hour well there was there was that sort of behavior was modeled oh that sounds really bad (laughs) it was a pants free family I
0: was pants female. <laughs> In Japan, they have bars called no pan bars where none of the waitresses wear pants. Hmm. That's just how it is there. Yeah. Yeah. At least it was 20 years ago. Pants are we okay. There. No pants is fine. Yeah. Sorry, kids. You do keep your pants on. It's just that I'm not the one forcing you to keep your pants on. So, pants yeah. As I, it should be. I really identify with Chris, though, because we're all looking at the socials and comparing ourselves with other people. And, trying to adult better and it's not freaking easy and i think a lot of people feel like they're not figuring it out
1: yeah exactly and you know because in this podcast what we want to help people do is move from bewilderment where chris is right now just bewildered why about why things seem easier for others just the day-to-day life make it work how to make it work how to make it all work out and we wanted to get him to bewilderment where he's not reacting to cultural pressures, but actually to his own nature and his own truth. Mm. Right, Marty? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You can sort of see automatically, right, the kind of cultural part well, of, yeah. of, of this problem, yeah?
0: Yeah, I could tell tale unfold. Um, th- first of all, I always go back in prehistory, even baboons and, um, well, mostly baboons, <laughs> Here we go. have Here I we studied, go, guys. that they don't just get worried about like are they well-fed, well-groomed, and happy, they get competitive about who's got the most mates, and especially the, the males will compete for dominance in the hierarchy and stuff. So there's some, there's some evidence for this even in, in non-human animals, but when you put a human brain on that, what it turns into, I think, is something that psychologists or sociologists call social comparison theory. And all that means is that people don't feel happy based on whether that they have enough
1: mm-hmm. or
0: not. You know, have enough stuff, enough, you know, free time, whatever. They base their self-evaluated happiness on whether they have as much as other people.
1: Right. Yes. And
0: they, you can take people who are in cultures where they're subsisting very well, they're healthy, they're well-fed and everything. And then you throw a colonial culture in there. And all of a sudden they're in there with interesting weapons and gadgets and technologies and a competitive philosophy and then the the tribes get kind of infected almost with that world view Mm. and that's happened over and over and over historically so it's not it's not just all people but it's particularly um what are called the weird cultures western educated industrialized rich and democratic they are especially prone for a variety of reasons. To, enculturating us with the, this idea that we should compare ourselves to one another and, and then get very very upset if we if we don't measure up, and it can totally take over our lives.
1: Right, and so in in terms of Chris, this is it's not just more more financial you know success or whatever. It can also just be more ease, more um, sense like apparently more sense of capacity and that sort of thing to do things. You know, is, I think
0: actually, we all end up doing that in different ways. I think we're so set up for comparing ourselves negatively to others that virtually anything can become that way. I've had tons of wealthy successful clients who are like really upset that their relationships aren't as good as other people's and people in happy relationships who think oh I don't have the career that I really need. People with careers who say I don't have babies yet. Like it's
1: constant. So do we need it in some way? Do we need this to motivate us to try hard or something? Is there an evolutionary need? No. Absolutely not because if you look at Um, say,
0: hunter-gatherer cultures, Um, it's actually really interesting. Social comparison leads to jealousy, which is a really specific emotion of not just um, comparing, but comparing with anger and desire. And it fractures social harmony. Hmm. So if you're in a small group, like 50 to 150 people living in the wilderness and there aren't many humans around, the harmony of the group, everybody depends on one another to a huge extent. And so a threat to the harmony of the group is a threat to every individual. So in those tribes, there's a very strong emphasis on reducing jealousy, like not allowing jealousy to be a thing. So say someone is a better hunter than other people in the tribe. And uh, he may get a special like commendation, like he gets to eat the liver of the elk that he's killed or whatever, but he then immediately distributes it among the other, people in the tribe. And that equality means that his success is the whole tribe's success and he's not singled out. And that's a really strong social pressure in a lot of small groups living in the wilderness. So, And that, that's the majority of human history. So we know it's not necessary for us to live in this constant fret of social comparison. It's just really, really common because of our particular cultural foundations.
1: It's interesting because what just occurred to me is that little kids are obsessed with fairness. It's like um, kids come in with that really strong sense of if you mm. get two, I get two. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and, and it has to be fair and it has to be equal. Yeah. And then the other thing I thought about is, you know, that maybe there is just this essential striving that that we've abandoned for a, a kind of sense of what's a better word than like – I guess equality, harmony, you know, like... um,
0: Fairness is another
1: word for it. Yeah, like just Um, for people to kind of have similar opportunities, I guess, and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a shift between... Well, it's a shift between um, focus on the group as the organism and focus on the individual as an organism.
1: So when we became this weird type of society that you were talking about before... Yeah. um, Western educated and all of that. Yeah. Something slipped in there that gave us this, this particular psychology.
0: Well, and here's what it was. There were a bunch of educated, land-owning, Caucasian um, upper-class people in Europe, like in England, who decided to define equality. And they, did, they wanted to get out from under the monarchs and the pressures of the papal system and all that. So what they did was they said we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That wasn't Thomas Jefferson writing. That was John Locke writing in England mm. or Scotland before in the 1700s, I think, or maybe even the 1600s. Boy, fact check. Anyway, it was John Locke. And so these guys got together and they were fueled largely by coffee. A lot of people <laughs> put the entire development of Western educated, standardized thinking down to the importation of coffee from the New World, because all these smart, sort of
1: noble, rich, what the idle rich would get together <laughs> suddenly had energy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They would get together. They'd been, they'd been kind of draped over things elaborately to have their portraits painted <laughs> like, for a few hundred you know, years, and then they were like, oh,
0: like ooh. oh, Edgar, get up and kill something for me. I feel, and and I, then suddenly they said, oh, after ooh, this
1: delightful oh good, let's
0: have a chat. Yes. And they decided that they were the standard of, what, of everybody having to be equal, but only people in their class. So when you got Thomas Jefferson borrowing that from John Locke and putting it into the American Declaration of Independence, it was because he and the people in his class, gender, race, and everything else, had, had learned to take that as a really good, good description of how life should be fair. It should be evenly discri- distributed among people like them. The problem Fascinating. Is you can
1: that see how They were how not
0: that... doing the, the work like care of the old, the sick, and the young, growing the food, preparing food, all the stuff that slaves and women were doing, mainly slaves at that time, slaves, servants, and women. And so massive, all-important aspects of human activity were left out of the definition of a, of an individual, and then the individuals went out to compete against each other to have all these, you know, things like high levels of scientific knowledge and power and wealth and all that, and they literally defined a person as a person who does not need to take care of other people or who will never be ill himself or who will never be poor hence we have this incredibly individualistic society where people are still competing based on those criteria that Mm. those guys valued
1: but as the class stuff fell away and most of us are living without servants these days we're trying to do both both parts of it
0: and chris bless his heart is running into a lot of what working mothers run into because they're trying to keep the pants on their toddlers Mm -hmm. and still get to the office on time and those two things caring for the young and going to the office are they were designed on mutually exclusive philosophies, right? And so the, the competitive nature of our psychology is based on the side of that that went with the educated idle rich.
1: Oh, that's so fascinating, and you can just see how it how it plays out for us now. Like even the other side of it, you know. So you've got Chris's side where he's feeling so. Um, wretched and bewildered because he doesn't understand how everyone else seems to be doing it more easily than him and then there's the other side of it which is what are those people actually doing they're presenting their lives as easy yeah as like that they're the idle rich sort of thing that don't have to clean up poo exactly coming out of the back or or a rhinoceros
0: (laughs) I can't believe you would call Chris's baby a rhinoceros.
1: Have you seen that, kid? <laughs> <laughs> Watched her pee for 25 minutes in a stretch. Um,
0: <laughs> well, the other thing is, yeah, people are getting out there going, look at me, I just got this fabulous promotion, and here's my plaque from the office and everything. On the other side, there are people going, and look at my triplets who, you know, are, are getting into preschool at the age of six months because they can all do calculus.
1: Like, Look how clean they are. They are. Their, their fingers aren't even sticky all the time. They're amazing.
0: <laughs> so you have this ideal brew for what some Asian philosophies call crazy mind. And in fact, a lot of cultures that weren't based in Western Europe thought it was crazy. There's this famous story when Jung, he made really good friends with a Pueblo Indian chief named Mountain Lake. And they got close enough that he finally asked his friend one day, what do you guys actually think of Anglos? And Mountain Like said, you're all completely, seriously mentally ill. And mm. I'm not kidding. Like, I'm not joking. You are crazy. And he said, well, why would you think that? And Mountain Like said, you're just, what are you looking for? You're always staring. You have these staring eyes and you crave and you crave and you can never get enough. Mm. And you're nuts and we would like to stay away from that well wow. of course then
1: the, they couldn't
0: <laughs> yeah because the crazy staring people came and killed everybody and took their stuff so that they would have enough stuff to compare to their brother who was born into the nobility in england and inherited right, all the right, land right, you know yeah. it's just it's insane and in asia they call it crazy mind comparing mind is crazy mind hmm. and checking another's status and and then bringing it up against your own constantly is something that in meditation you know your meditation teacher will hit you hard with a stick they do that
1: yeah yeah I just want to um point out that this we're sort of talking about all of this comparison as though it's an individual to individual thing but I think it's actually larger than that I think that Um, It's not just this one guy that Chris went to school with on Facebook that Mm. that is the thing. It's this sense that I think we maybe have in the water, you know, um, which is the sort of unconscious cultural training that says uh, how you will be is you will, you know, and and it will vary. Obviously, there's variations, but you'll know what your own supposed to do was, Mm. you know, and and so you know the markers – and they're just out there, you know, and depending on the variations of the culture you grew up in, if you grew up in Western yeah. culture or a Westernised place, um, are going to be, you know, there's going to be stuff about education. Right. There's going to be stuff about family. There's going to be stuff about, you know, it's almost like everything we talk about on this podcast. Um, when yeah. when are you going to have children? What's your marriage going to look like? Will you have a career? All of these sort of things. And And so I think while... On the one hand, we, we experience those comparisons really strongly when we're, um, like, social media is just such a killer for this, as everyone knows. But um, what we're actually reacting to is a symbol of of this sense of rules that, that we already have internalized. Yeah. Do yeah. you agree?
0: I do. and the, And that particular, like... Flavor of that that we're looking at right now is there because they're all insane and they all make us strive to do things that Probably aren't gonna cause us a really innate sense of happiness, but What we're really looking at here is that it also makes you nuts because you feel like Somehow someone else has offended you or you have fallen short compared to them and it it actually destroys compassion empathy relationship social ease with other people
1: and even with yourself right so I it just made me think I remember years ago now getting a call quite late at night from a friend who had had a few drinks at this point and um was telling me that she was telling me all this stuff that was a problem in her relationship you know he he doesn't l- let me do this he gets angry when I do this you know da da. that was pretty confronting stuff because I I knew the person involved and I was like, wow. And then she said, but Ro, I will not be single when I turn 30. The the sort of tacit message being, yes, I'm really unhappy in my relationship and I have an idea about the cultural expectation that it means something about me if I'm not in a long-term relationship at this random date, you know? And
0: what it's triggering is that uniquely human or perhaps also canine facility for shame Mm. and people will literally murder out of to to keep their images from looking tarnished there was a guy that's a bit off the point but this guy famous case in American TV where he had a secret admirer and it was revealed the secret admirer was a, a man a gay man and he went over and murdered the other guy so that he wouldn't be seen as gay and in the comparison, I'm straight, you're gay, that has a hierarchical thing. And there's shame associated with being gay. And people would rather kill each other than somehow tolerate or see through the shame mm. that arises in us when someone else is apparently doing better or, you know, getting stuff we don't have. It's It really is like from any outside perspective if a martian visitor came in or someone from another galaxy they'd go oh wow that's that's a really serious like
1: epidemic problem here right right and so has that like is that something that you experience yourself?
0: absolutely yeah i well
1: hello the lovely peoples
0: this is marty martha inviting you to a free masterclass that i have made called five paths to your purpose you know, I I was thinking of two things. One is um, the fact that, ah, well, I have been writing this book, which I've, let's see, how long has it been since I published my last one? It's been like four years, and I've, I worked forever even on the proposal, and I had a friend who was also working on a book that she'd started, and and then she wrote her novel, which was over 600 pages long, and it became a you know, a huge bestseller, and I was working on my chapter, and I was like, it's okay. She writes much faster. It's all right. And she will call and say, how's your book going? Well, I've added another page. (laughs) And then she just emailed us and said, she's just finished another novel. She's been off, like, on a writing retreat. She's finished two books and got one into bestsellerdom, and by the way, also hiked through France and, like, (sighs) It's, it's, it's pretty brutal. I've finished a chapter and a half in the time that she's done this and I have been quite
1: hard on myself about it. So, you know, it's interesting to me that, you know, you're in a very specific little pocket of culture um, here in how you're reacting because for most of us, Having eleven books published already and bestsellers under your, you know, our own belts, we might feel a little bit entitled to take a while to finish another book. But for you, where where you sit, it's it's the comparison, and I think that's it's relevant, Absolutely, right? Yes. The comparison is always going to be like, where are you at? Where are you pushing? Yeah, your own capacity.
0: It's almost like there's a little. Think of it as an app that can be installed in the brain. Only it's a it's a I mean, it's more like a virus. It's a terrible app, and it says. I will look to others as comparisons, and if I compare in any way that is not equal to what I see, I will then drive myself into shame,
1: mm. and all these negative
0: feelings will come up. Yeah. And you install that app, and it doesn't matter how many books you've written, somebody else is always doing better. Yes. You know, and 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 that very friend probably has places where she looks and says, oh, I didn't do what that person did. You know, we all do that.
1: So... To kind of summarise what we've been talking about, we I mean, we we were trying to show how um, consensus reality is, is this difficult thing and gets in the way of our true nature and yeah. that we need to come back to our senses. So for Chris, you know, it, the consensus um, that he feels as pressure is that if you're not at least as good as others, in this case, adulting, this new internet word, Um, then there's something wrong, and and you need to be as competent as others and successful as others, as happy as others seem to be. And, um, yeah, so.
0: But it really is, as we can see by comparing cultures, it's an app that we've installed in our weird cultures, and um, it's making us all look at Instagram and uh, Facebook and think that we're not doing well enough And then we descend into shame and misery. And we know because other cultures don't necessarily have this to the same extent that we should be able to remove this app. And the way we frame it up in this show is cultural ideas that drive us away from our natural way of being cause a lot of problems. They cause us to feel bewildered and we need to get bewildered. And so what we're looking at here is the cultural pressure that says in the case of poor Chris, that if you're not at least as good uh, as others at adulting, whether that means your grad school program, your job, your kid raising, relationship status, whatever, if you're not at least doing at least as well as all the other people at those things, there's something wrong with you. And you're not as competent. You should be happier. You should be all these things. And we all live, I think, in some degree of misery over this. I I look at social media and I go, These people are fabulous and they're traveling and dancing together and I haven't gotten out of my pajamas for six weeks. So I fall prey to this cultural pressure that says, oh, I'm not doing as well. It is pernicious and it is everywhere, Rowan. It is. It is both those things. And how can we come back to our senses? We've come to the consensus of the culture that says we're supposed to be as good as other people. We've seen that it's insane. We've seen that it causes misery. How do we get out of it?
1: Well. I'm glad you asked. I have this belief that um, when when we're in this particular mindset, when we're running the app, when we're running this app, what we're doing is taking our reference point out of ourselves and into the thing that we're comparing with. Oh. And so it becomes, you know, he has, she can, you know, and, and not – and, and we lose our own perspective. Like we only exist as the thing that isn't as good as that. Mm-hmm. You, Yeah. So um, in order to come to our senses, we need to bring that reference point back inside ourselves. So if if we're shining the spotlight on the other person and feeling like we're small and in the dark and not as good, we need to bring that spotlight back to ourselves. So that's my thing and I want to try this out on you guys Good. so you were
0: starting to walk me through an exercise and it was working and I thought save it for the folks let's hear this all
1: right well let's give it a go uh I first of all it shouldn't be too difficult to just think of a time where you have felt that you know maybe someone's boasting about their their trilingual toddler um or or whatever it is it doesn't have to be a parenting thing But a a moment where someone's life seems to be going really well and you feel yourself lacking in comparison. And I want you to like really visualise that scene and see everything that you can in there. So look at the room you were in, if you were by yourself at your computer looking at Instagram, see your computer, see the table, whatever is in there. Now, as you choose one thing in the scene that isn't the other person there's a lamp there's a there's a table there's even a you know your computer there whatever it is just just look at it for a minute and just say that's not me and as you look at the thing just feel your own own heart space your own sort of emotional center and be aware so be aware of yourself and your own body and your own breathing and now look at the person who's making you feel like by comparison you're less than and look at them say that's not me and again feel yourself your own <laughs> don't touch yourself up <laughs> um, but just feel into your own heart space your own breathing and your own perspective realize that you're looking out from your eyes and the other person is smaller and you're heart is is where you need to be living
0: Mm, i love that because as i was going along you know drifting along through the exercise and i was thinking about this incredibly prolific friend i have whom i adore by the way um but she really is incredibly productive and as i looked at that and then thought okay that's there's the table that's not me there's a bookshelf that's not me there's my friend that's not me what's me i immediately realized that there's this whole range of experiences that i value highly that have been in the place of writing pro- as prolifically like i spend a lot more time in art just we we spend a tremendous amount of time just communing as a family <laughs> yeah we do <laughs> like we, we have, like each other oh my god we just, <laughs> it's like we have morning communion we have evening communion we have e- evening communion is closely followed by evening tv time with adam which is followed by us browsing (laughs) channels and trying to find something we like um god i wouldn't give that up for a a million and it's not
1: better no than my friend in any
0: way but it's like oh i can live with that choice
1: i absolutely can live with that choice your heart wants the experience of that of the life that, that you live, not the life that your friend lives. And her heart wants that experience. And it's you're an interesting too because you're actually in that not particularly defined by culture in these two ways of living. Yeah. Uh, and so it's the contrast is really clear. And it
0: really is going from consensus to, to our senses, because the concept of how much did you do, how many pages, how many words, how many contracts, whatever, it's so in my head. And when I think here I am among objects, and this isn't me. I, it's like an animal. I drop out of the conceptual frame of mind, and I'm feeling objects and I'm seeing colors. And then the sensation of my own experience is like, oh, that's very, I remember the warmth of just spending time in my pajamas with my family. And yeah, I would choose that. So I'm back in my senses, and I can love my friends' productivity without getting jealous and anxious and all of that stuff.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that we it, we don't really experience this as a particularly like language bound thing, but so much of it can be addressed by moving out of language. Yeah, in that one. Yeah, because you can't
0: hold conceptual comparisons without language. And to some extent the things that we've formulated around story because we can also like the way you select your Instagram posts is a composition based on concepts in the mind. So it, it follows a story. And animals don't have as much sport, storytelling capacity as we do. So they're much more likely to drop a story and go back to their individual senses. And when I started thinking that's the table, that, and all the, thought, the only verbal thought in my mind was, that's not me, it reminded me of Jill Bolte-Taylor, who was a neuroanatomist at Harvard. Did I ever tell you, Ro? I actually attended Harvard.
1: You did, and it led to my subsequent drinking problem, because every time you say Harvard, I have to knock Drink back a shot. A, yeah. a shot of something.
0: So yeah, Harvard, Harvard, Harvard. Now you're drunk. <laughs> ah! <laughs> anyway, I know the uh, the um, atmosphere there. I mean, she was in the med school, I think, and there was a joke when I was there, how many pre-meds does it take to screw in a light bulb? And the answer is two, one, two, three screwed in the light bulb and the other one to push the ladder out from under her. Like The competition was violent. So here she was in that type of environment and she had a massive stroke and lost her language capacity and it took her eight years to grow it all back. She has a fabulous TED Talk and a book called My Stroke of Insight. But the most important thing for this discussion was that the moment she was free from language and just present as a sensing emotional and physical being... She couldn't remember who was a professor and who was a homeless person, but she knew who was kind and who was not. Mm. She didn't know what the word mother meant, but she knew that her mother's energy was safe and the, you know, another person who came in the room wasn't safe. From a very animal perspective, very sophisticated, very intelligent still, but not language based
1: yeah and and you think about that you think about the word mother and that how loaded that word is Yikes. with with prescribed expectations if it's not one thing it's your mother right and and yet without that concept there can be this woman that it's you have just a woman. This, yeah no
0: baggage and she said I built back my brain after it being she was 37 when she had her stroke she said imagine Having my brain come back online minus 37 years of, of all that baggage. Wow. So she took out the app, and I hope we can do it without having to endure what she went through. But I think just your exercise can help you it just reground in the body, reground in the senses. And we always get to this because that's always, we have a very cerebral culture. And to get out of purely conceptual thinking and into the experience of joy and deliciousness and the happiness of the moment not sort of the image you display in the world the story you spin of your own fabulous success to come home to that is everything everything so for chris you know what i would say is stop thinking in words and that's, that's not all, you know, that's not where I thought we'd go
1: with this. Or, or perhaps like in those moments when he's feeling, because stop thinking in words, this guy's in grad school. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but like maybe when we experience that emotion, that shame and that, that sense of.
0: Yeah, that would be it. So it's a good time. If you feel the shame, you may be able to drop out of it, or maybe it's too intense and the app has got you at that point. Oh, so true. maybe like a daily centering practice of going someplace where you're either with your loved ones, where the relationship is purely based on what you love to do, or you're by yourself, or you're in nature, or whatever, and saying, what do I enjoy? What do I want? And it may be, and I've known people who live very, very, very simply. And I would think, like when I was life coaching way back when, I need to make them wealthier and more successful. And then I would use the exercises and the tools that we use in the program, and I'd realize they were actually living exactly what they wanted. And that, to me, that's what we should see as admirable. Have you chosen what is going to give you the richest life your own heart, body, soul can possibly experience?
1: And just get ready for it to not look like your school friend's photos on Facebook.
0: Yeah, and if you're suffering, value the suffering. You know, there's there are all kinds of things like wisdom that can come out of times when you're not totally happy. So don't use I am totally happy in my life as Mm. another point of comparison. Just say I am I am moving toward those things that are naturally appealing to me. And there are ups and downs in every life. But I've plotted my course and I I stand by that choice. I don't have to feel shame about that choice.
1: Perfect. So. As we come to the end of this episode, I do want to reveal the big secret about this topic, which is those people are struggling too. (gasps) (laughs) There it is.
0: (laughs) 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 What
1: we don't photograph our struggles.
0: No, we don't. Oh, maybe I should start doing that. (laughs) i'd be better than anyone else at photographing my struggles (laughs) so everybody's struggling with the cultural app and nobody is probably in complete mastery of it but we can all let go just a little bit
1: today wonderful and with that thank you so much for listening we will see you next time and in the meantime stay Stay wild. wild are you enjoying these shenanigans we can notify you when a new Bewildered episode comes out. Just text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. You can also follow Martha on the socials for all kinds of ways to improve your life. On Instagram, she's Beck. On Facebook, TheMarthaBeck. Or on Twitter, plain old Martha Beck. Her website is MarthaBeck.com. You can also follow me, Rowan Mangan, for all kinds of stuff on the writing life, wordsmithing and honestly general nonsense. My website is rowanmangan.com. Find me on Insta, Rowan underscore Mangan. On Facebook, I'm Rowan Mangan Writer. And on Twitter, I'm Rowan Mangan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.
0: You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need and the world needs wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to marthabeck.com, and you'll find your way.